0: Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are here with a guest. Can you just introduce yourself, let people know where you are, uh, what you do, anything else that you want to say about yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Mikey. I go by Mikey Amman, and uh, I am currently in Ann Arbor, Michigan, heading to Tucson very soon, born and raised in the States, uh, lived in the Middle East for many years, and uh, I can go on and on, but I—I uh, I guess I'm a queer Middle Eastern millennial Capricorn. <laughs> to sum it up,
0: we are all Capricorns on this re- recording, <laughs> and it's Capricorn season, so this yes. is just like the—it just feels right that we're recording <laughs> during Cap season. Uh, Mikey, are you a December or a January Capricorn?
1: January upcoming January 16th
0: I am January 18th and then Ellie Ellie is January 11th so we have three January Capricorns (laughs) that's awesome um (laughs) what are your big three like what's your moon and rising
1: I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) that'd be
0: cool (laughs) Ellie I know is a Capricorn moon right also Capricorn sun and moon (sighs) yep that's a lot yeah, we
2: are super thick with Capricorns here. Uh, Nadia <laughs> is also Capricorn, if I recall correctly.
0: What, Nadia? No, Nadia is a, can- uh, a cancer. Uh, the opposite. The uh, complete God. opposite. <laughs> <laughs> the other um, yeah. uh Yeah, so where have you lived in the Middle East? I guess let's start with
1: that. Yeah, um, so I actually went to uh, Jordan um, for most of my high school years. Um, So I was born and raised in Chicago and I kind of was quote unquote, shipped there as a teenager. (laughs) Uh, But it was a great experience overall. Um, Maybe that's kind of the uh, memories being positive uh, experience I have, you know, as an adult. But uh, yeah, that in Jordan specifically in Amman, the capital. um, And, you know, that's, uh, I feel privileged to, I guess have that experience in that part of the Middle East versus other parts maybe.
0: I liked Amman. I've, I've visited. I really liked the people I met and the vibe. Went to Wadi Rum once. That was really, that was bo- gorgeous.
1: It is beautiful.
0: And yeah, the food is just unmatched, <laughs> like completely <laughs> unmatched. I, I'm also curious, like, uh, what's bringing you to Tucson, if you are sharing?
1: Yes. I'm actually, uh, I, I work in higher education. I've been working in higher ed for about 10 years now. Um, so I just accepted a, a position um, in a community college in the Tucson area. And uh, it's a great yes. opportunity. Thank you. I start literally on Monday. Um, so I'll be working remotely for okay. a while. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about this opportunity. It's uh, kind of a uh, monumental in my life. So it, it's very important on many levels.
0: That's amazing, yes. yeah, congrats, that's huge. Um, so we came across each other on Instagram I think uh, originally something that stood out was Britney can you tell (laughs) everyone (laughs) can you tell everyone where Britney comes in here
1: oh goodness um well you know I will say like I I guess for a big chunk of my teenage years and young adulthood um pop music was very important to me um, and, you know, we can go very philosophical into what pop culture means to many queer individuals. But um, for me personally, I think I, I felt um, a lot of things from that person, that artist. Brittany to me, always exemplified feminism the way I saw it as a young queer you know, male, I, I, you know? And uh, there was a lot of uh, perception and uh, projecting. So for me, uh, my interest in her music was fully kind of trying to build my own confidence as someone who's queer, Um, seeing the kind of stage presence and the confidence exhumed from someone who is actually a very humble person in real life was very inspiring to me because I do consider myself to be a a humble, simple person but I have ambitions and I wanna have more confidence in everything in life. So that's really kind of the foundation of my interest in that kind of uh, music.
0: You want to tell everyone what you have done with your love of Britney?
1: Well, um, it's it, I, I, I think I uh, when I came back from the Middle East, um, the first thing I wanted to do was go to a, a concert. I've never experienced concerts, so I went to um, the circus tour and I got the VIP tickets and I was all excited. I was going all out, and I, I, I loved engaging with the fans. Um, because they had similar stories, you know, people just wanted to build their self themselves using her music and her persona. Um, so I wanted to build an online community, and I started uh, a group uh, initially on Facebook called the Chronicles of Britney. Um, currently, it's I think the number one size uh, North American Facebook group for Britney Spears music, um, and I will be honest and say, you know, I. of course, I'm the only uh, administrator for that group. We have moderators, but it's actually um, a community. And that's something I've been very happy about having that kind of online presence. So um, it started about 10 years ago, and I'm still kind of, I'm not as passionate, I should say. Um, I kind of have other interests in life, but I it's a priority of mine to maintain that community for people who felt the way i did um so yeah that's definitely something exciting a chapter in my life i'm very happy about
0: yeah um we've talked a bit about like the free britney movement too Mm -hmm. um that's come up in conversation a lot more recently and just like how much people with um arab or just like middle eastern background can kind of relate to um the whole guardian, the whole concept of guardianship, and um, so we felt like, you know, that's also relevant to this podcast and like the community that we uh, engage with most. And we've just kind of realized there's like a lot of overlap. And then also the queer aspect is really also relevant because um, Brittany did become a queer icon. Uh, she, I've always felt the same as you about her. She's only, I've only gotten like positive energy from her um since a teen since my teen years I've always just felt like this is someone who exudes confidence she's a she seems like a genuinely good person um and the fact that she just continued with what she loves the most while under so much societal pressure is so inspiring And I'm glad for her that she is entering this next chapter of her life.
2: Well, I came into contact with the whole Britney ness when I was in high school. My best friend was huge into her, like practicing her dance moves every day, literally, like in classes to be a dancer. And so I was, Britney was kind of forced upon me. I was this, you know, punk little metalhead who was basically. Like, her best friend was, like, completely to Britney. So I was, like, at her house every day, looking scrubby as hell, hanging out with this girl who was all about Britney. So I got of like osmosis, you know? But for me, like, my encounters with Britney was more through, like, the internet. You know, the whole sort of watching from a distance as the internet sort of dealt with the idea of Britney Spears. And then, you know, seeing all the meme culture crop up around here, starting with, of course, you know, the big Leave Britney Alone kid, which kind of just started the whole was basically one of the first major internet memes after all your base so you know as a super internet nerd like myself that's kind of like oh hey you know she's she's important to you know internet culture too as a result but i also feel you on the fact that her family struggle also resonates with me because because her how controlling her father is in her life both in a personal and financial sense i mean especially with the whole guardianship she has going on but the whole queer arab thing is you can't feels like you can't escape your roots or your family even if you want to sometimes that's that's kind of like how i came into it also her take on toxic is fantastic
0: (laughs) yeah there is a lot of depth behind all that the meme culture like the whole leave Britney alone thing, like it became kind of like lighthearted, but there's actually so much depth behind that because it's yeah, leave her alone for <laughs> and aimed at so many different people. Like it it's little did we know it was aimed at her family too. Um and then but the it's, rest of society.
2: But it also sort of like touches on the wider fan like fangirl culture coming up in the internet age because like anything young girls like is immediately disliked on the internet and having that whole leave Brittany alone was sort of like the first shout back against that I mean but I could go in this whole side diatribe about like you know anti you know you know young ladies loving things honestly and earnestly but that's like a whole separate episode on itself let's not get too sidetracked let's st- let's stick with Brittany for once
0: yeah. Yeah. And it, there is so much, there is so much embedded misogyny in like this whole trend of hating on Britney Spears or like someone else who a lot of young girls are inspired by. And then it spills over into like, oh, if a cis male is into someone, then he's automatically gay, but in like a, a insulting sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that kind of trope growing up too.
1: I mean, the 2000s, they seem like yesterday to me, but they are 20 years ago, you know, 20, 10 to 20 years ago. So I, I, I'm not a fan of people who say, you know, a lot a lot has changed in the last 10 years. A lot has changed in the last 10 years. And uh, I think those are one of the most recent examples we can think of. Right. I mean, um, the way most female artists were treated in the 2000s, specifically, like magazine TMZ era, right? Um, I have a lot of good nostalgia from MySpace and High Five, but that was one of the things that was very triggering for me, the way women were portrayed in media. Um, and uh, yeah, I think something related to Britney, I, I don't want to go into like a philosophy of Britney Spears, but I will say that there's something very intriguing and interesting to me. I'm a very spiritual, holistic person in many ways. And I like to see predictive things. And I I've thought it was very interesting how the internet culture, right? Has seen her earlier songs and some of her later stuff as well as predicting her life in many ways. Um, you know, like songs like Lucky, songs like Overprotected, touch on those topics of how, how you're treated in society, how your family treats you. Um, and to uh, Ellie's point, I, I really appreciate you mentioning the intersection of, your financial status and dependency and on family. Um, you know, t- being dependent is not always a state of privilege. Um, sometimes it's a, a state where you're being emotionally abused, controlled. Um, and I like to a lot of Arab peoples know that. I think the whole Free Britney movement aligned with my personal journey uh, of letting go, of trying to please people and family. So it, Kind of, I don't know if it was the universe aligning, but it definitely was representative of everything you both touched on.
2: I mean, this is the episode where we can get to the philosophy of Brittany. This is your episode.
1: (laughs) It'll be two hours long at least. (laughs) Um,
2: But uh, yeah, I
1: do enjoy this kind of conversation and uh, it's definitely uh, inspiring to see other people. And that's why I, I still to this day, you know, in my early 30s, still managing online content related to Britney Spears and her fans because there's a lot of people who are inspired by this. And I I like seeing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a a really good community, I feel like, specifically related to Britney these days. I guess fast forwarding before you accepted the Tucson position, what else have you been working on and involved in?
1: So once I came back from Middle East, I went into community college. um, and that was my restart on life. I needed that for myself. Um, leaving the Middle East was an escape, metaphorically and physically for me. Um, it was leaving so much behind. So uh, I went into the, the, the pipeline of higher education through community college, and I then went to um, uh, a university in Indiana, and then I got my master's in a university in Chicago. And I started teaching um, ESL students. Uh, students whose first language is not English and from there I kind of started working in international education uh, working with international students and study abroad students very very exciting stuff then I kind of went into learning support services for students with uh, uh, different barriers you know different abilities different uh, socioeconomic status etc and my next opportunity is working within uh, adult education and that's kind of where my heart always belonged because I come from a family of immigrants and I've seen the struggle they went through, uh, an economic struggle and cultural struggles. And that definitely is the inspiration for me to work in higher education. Um, So that's kind of been the evolution of my career, um, which is why my next chapter I'm very excited about because it's not only something I'm very passionate about, but it is an economic barrier for me that I've surpassed. And to get back to your point, Ellie, like the whole financial stability or, or, you know, situation of a person is vital for so many queer Arabs. So for me, I'm very privileged to be in that situation.
0: Oh, that's awesome. My uh, my mom was a ESL teacher for adults uh, for about 25 years or something. And it was just like, it felt like such a privilege to be around people of so many backgrounds like many who recently arrived in the U.S. and just experienced so many cultures through them being able to hang out with my mom and her students a lot Um, and like you touched on I think it is really important to have educators um, who often are like some of the first people an immigrant might meet and especially within like an ESL context, for example, I think it, it's so important to have like the right people in those positions um, to uh, people who are trustworthy, people who actually care and have some kind of insight into what the transition must feel like and what what people need at that stage of life. Um, so that that's that's awesome. I, I think that sounds like a really good uh, next step that you're taking. Um, with the new position.
1: Yes, I'm very happy um, and I'm happily partnered as well. So, you know, there, there are a lot of um, things aligning in my life right now and that's very alien to me uh, as a concept. I don't know if that's like, as some people might call it, imposter syndrome or I don't know what it want to call it, but it's rare and kind of scary to be in a happy place sometimes. Um, but yeah. I'm there and I'm happy to be there right now.
2: I, I, I call it being not used fact. to success. It yeah. is, it's like... Wait, I know what being panicked and desperate feels like. But what is this? Everything is working, (laughs) and you're sort of like so primed for things to be a struggle and go wrong. You're just like, okay, when does the collapse start?
1: Yes, and you know, not to say that there aren't struggles in life. And you know, my family alone—that's that's that's a whole different chapter that my book one day will will address, I guess. (laughs) But um, um, it's definitely a, a place in my life where I'm definitely uh,
0: pleasant i know what you mean i've had like several things work out at once um kind of recently too and it's like i'm waiting for the other shoe to drop type of thing i'm like this is a a very bizarre concept there is a lot of i think ptsd that a lot of us have um that we have to kind of work through in order to really believe that things are going to be sustained Like all the good things are going to be sustained.
1: I think that, um, and you know, that PTSD is lingering on so many levels for a lot of queer Arabs like us. And it's just been challenging overall, I say for a lot in our community, um, in, in the aspect of just getting over those barriers, you know, that sometimes they're just simple barriers. Um, so for me to have those barriers, many of them go away is scary because it feels like well something's gonna go wrong because it always does right, like you said. So um, I hear you there.
2: That or there's there's always a certain comfort in just having you know that consistent adversity. It's like yeah, it's a struggle, but you know how to deal with the struggle. You know.
0: Yeah, it's like what's familiar, and at least for me, there's uh, there's a. I mean, I don't know when this will go away. There's the constant feeling of how am I deserving. Of this good thing and I know a lot of it was external stuff growing up of being under the impression I wasn't deserving and that I was inferior and that other people's permission was what I was dependent on for every step of life and now it's like oh no it's not anymore how am I deserving of that even though objectively I know of course I am
1: I think the, there's just so many layers to being queer Arab, um, and it's kind of been. Um, I would say it's just being queer, being Middle Eastern. A lot of people coming from Muslim backgrounds, be coming from an immigrant family. A lot of that just it goes against us in so many ways. You know, sometimes the family itself, the family dynamic doesn't promote emotional stability or openness. So, you know, so that screws us up in a way. And then the events of 9-11 and post 9-11, how that impact on us, Arab Americans, for example, still does. Um, Then being queer and Arab, you know, so it's like being rejected by so many people all the time. And, you know, it gets to. you. So that's why for me, it's very important in higher education to voice my to have my voice and to make sure my representation matters and is there. Um, and it's it's been an interesting challenge navigating that. But again, it's a privilege that I am able to do that also.
0: That's really, yeah, it's awesome to talk to someone who is this dedicated, I guess, to being in an educator role, because you are someone who people will remember for decades, because you will be one of the first um, support systems for a lot of people so
1: it means a lot uh, it means a lot to, to do higher education work or any education work um, and I know it's scary it's, it's, I, I'm always reminded of how scary it is for me you know I, I make it sound rosy but I am always fearful there's always some kind of fear that's usually fueled by family or heritage you know concerns or whatever you want to call them but I, I, I'm trying my best to navigate them as safely as possible and as happily as possible.
0: Some of the fear is it's, it it sucks that you have to navigate it. And then some of the fear is probably just it's an indication of how much you care. Yeah, maybe it's like a mix.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what it is, but I think it's I think a lot of people are fearful, um, even people who feel safe uh, as queer Arabs, I would say. Um, because even if the people around you you trust, um, there's just a level of trust that's just not there, I think, societal, uh, societally. You know, I, I would I would be lying to say, oh, I got this great opportunity in Saudi Arabia, and I'm not trying to single out Saudi Arabia as a country or anything like that, but um, I got an amazing opportunity in Saudi Arabia, and the main reason I turned it down was because I knew I wouldn't feel safe there, um, period. You know, it was a great, it had all the check marks, it had everything, perfect, perfect, I'd be set for life on this, and But no, you know, there's certain things. So I think that will never go away in my lifetime. Um, But I'm hopeful the next generations will. And I want to be a participant in making that easier for everyone.
2: I especially feel that because like uh, when I was growing up and going to school, like I could talk about my struggle, talk talk about being, you know, kid of immigrants growing up in America. But, you know, my my family's immigrant story wasn't anyone else's immigrant story. And certainly most of them weren't queer either. So when I talked to my friends, it's like, oh, you're queer. Like, why do you want to stay with your family? Or why do you want to deal with your culture at all? It must be so hostile and toxic. I'm like, but they're my family. They're It's it's my culture. I, it's our way. I like the food. I don't want to give that up, you know? And I always felt like growing up, it was like, There was always like a certain pressure to sort of like blend into queer white culture or queer white nerd culture or just nerd culture, just rejecting other parts of myself to be included or to fit, you know, the progressive near queer progressive queer narrative that everyone seems to be constantly developing. It wasn't till college till I really saw somebody like myself. And at that point it was an underground. It was an underground queer women's mailing list. That was the start of it. And that was... Glad
0: you found that.
2: I I mean, it was, was, there's still a generational disconnect because all these women were like, they were older, like a lot of them were working in academia and professional positions. Here I was, you know, dumb college student, like with all these women who were like easily 10 plus years my senior. And then there's also the local trans community where like, I was literally the youngest person there by 20 years in a lot of the groups because it was like a lot of older cross-dressers who had started to transition because this was the early 2000s and it was a different time to understand. <laughs> so, but, so, which m- gives me hope that I'm finally like seeing people like me getting into the system and telling stories and having podcasts, Yeah, you
0: know. Yes to all of that. No, <sighs> maps. Yes. I love what you said, Ellie. There's this this constant like, oh, why are you even engaging with your toxic family and stuff? And it's so hard to sometimes explain the, the, I guess, urge to stay connected. And I think it's because it's a lot of our portals into like an entire culture. My father is from Saudi Arabia. There's a lot that is not okay with my family. My communication with certain select family members is what I rely on to stay engaged in a culture that I'm not surrounded by usually. And it's kind of hard to explain that to a lot of other queer people because there, there are so countless reasons why I should just cut these family members off. But it's not as simple as that.
1: I I really appreciate you guys saying that because there's, I think, currently, and maybe I'm generalizing by saying this, but I feel like my personal experience, I should say, has been that, you know, a lot of queer folks who are Arab or Middle Eastern um, in the, you know, the last few decades would assimilate, right? And we could go into the reasons why, um, but that's kind of the people that were, you know, like, a generation older than I am who are queer um, or identify as something else, their experiences were always to assimilate and to fit the mold, right? Versus I am trying to balance my pride and identity of my, who I am as a queer person and an Arab, right? And it's a challenge. It's, 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 you know, I don't think anyone can say it's an easy thing to balance your, your personal, uh, Biology or compass with cultural components, and um, I, I I I don't disconnect myself from my family entirely because of that as well. Um, and I feel like it could be the easier route, and I don't want to use the word easier because it's not easier, but I guess less of a struggle to let go of the family entirely versus having to face. <laughs> that trauma repetitively because in my personal opinion i want to make a difference
2: for the future
1: and i don't know if i can make as much of a difference if i just kind of wash my hands and do my own thing on a different part of the world
2: plus i feel like you have an extra challenge being in education just because in education and and this is from somebody who's growing up in texas mostly like There is a lot of pressure to not speak out on queer issues if you're in education at any level, Um, because not even uh, 20 years ago, it used to be a crime to be gay out here. And there's an education uh, contracts often had morality clauses saying if you were convicted of certain crimes or arrested for certain crimes, you know, you basically forfeit your license or your your anything. So um, how is that impacting your career? if it at all, this might be completely foreign, and completely wrong and I need to edit this out.
1: No, no, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm pretty passionate about um, queer affairs in different sectors of higher education. Um, I, um, I, 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 would, I will say that it depends on the state, which is sad enough too, um, you know, um, state by state, there are different norms, different rules, different laws. Um, for me personally, ha- navigating higher education, I will say as an Arab has been more difficult, to be honest with you, than being queer. Um, but that's my personal experience. Um, I know it's not the same for everyone, especially like if you're a trans or, you know, other identities or, you know, so we can get into there and people who are darker skinned, you know, there's so many conversations we can have about that. But as a queer Arab, definitely navigating the system is extremely challenging because I can't speak up on so many things because I know I will be in some fashion penalized for it, um, whether it's for being who I am as a queer person, or whether it's for voicing my concerns about certain current events in the world, um, or having a political opinion that maybe is not aligned with the post9/11 mm-hmm. hysteria. Um, so you know that's kind of this challenge I think in higher ed that I've had navigating it. Economically, I think that has been the biggest barrier for me to break into a system or an organization or an employer who can value its employees um, for me specifically, so I can officially disconnect from the things in my life that I perceive as toxic or have a negative impact on my life. Um, So it is liberating in that sense. So, but it's taken me a while. It's definitely been hard navigating the system,
2: especially on the on the polit- pressing your political. Because I feel like you know when you're queer, there's like, or you know, Middle Eastern or immigrant or any kind. It sort of like falls back into that ah yes, the two genders, normal and political, because you know our very identities are politicized to the moment, and so it feels like just even existing is not a political statement in itself, which can be career harming, you know.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why people have those conversations of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, right? So mm-hmm. there needs to be representation, but that doesn't mean it's only, it's not sufficient, right? It, you know, representation is a part of the, the puzzle for sure. And I'm proud of having that at least for myself. And um, I do think about other generations to come to your points and with all the work I do, you know, because Sometimes I feel like, well, what's the point of all this? Like, why did I have all these struggles in life if I'm not going to make something out of it, you know? And it's a very, like, lemonade, lemon kind of thinking that I have for my own career.
2: Do you have any specific events in your career you want to...
1: Oh, yes. Um, I will say um, networking um, is definitely... my It's a strength of mine. I'm very happy... I don't know if it's because it's uh, communication or or skills or whatever it may be. I'm very confident in my networking skills. So that's definitely been like a way for me to break those barriers career-wise. However, in navigating my networking, I've noticed certain pockets of higher education um, being very... uh, Resentful, uh, very defensive, very like they would ignore me entirely, including queer folks who are not um, of a minoritized background, Um, and I think that was probably for me the biggest shock. Um, How can someone who's queer, you know, mostly I, I guess I don't want to label people, but you know, I they're not brown, they're not black, they're not Muslim, they're not Arab, you know. Um, and they they just weren't helpful. Um, and I felt like they would provide opportunities to others that maybe were like them or looked like them or thought like them. And I felt like my identity was too radical for them. Just being who I am was too radical, let alone the way I thought. Uh, and I'm not talking about political thoughts here. I'm talking about just genuine philosophical disagreements on structural existence in higher education. Um, So I think for me, navigating that was probably the most challenging part of my career building experience um, because I saw people get opportunities when they didn't deserve them. Um, I saw people give opportunities to people when people who have very dynamic experiences and backgrounds and a lot to bring to the table. Uh, didn't have the same opportunities. So I think that was kind of eye-opening on so many levels.
2: Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen, I feel like I've run into that occasionally myself. Just, it was just like, yeah, you would be networked or have this one person who would help you out in your career, but they would only go so far or they would limit their help at certain times because if they brought you in, you, know, you didn't reflect on the kind of queerness that was acceptable in their organization or their field. Because it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm all, you know, gay and proud, but, you know, could you tone it down a little with the pride parade there? Sort of. (laughs) I don't know if that's your experience. But, you know, I, 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 I And it's so hard to tell because they never say outright. It's never like, you know, it's like, yeah, you're flying that rainbow flag, but you need to take down the Saudi flag. That just looks, that's a mixed message. Oh, well, I
1: wouldn't want the Saudi flag, of, but yeah, I know what you mean. Well, actually, I mean, that, that does, I think that hits on multiple things, issues in higher education specifically, and mm-hmm. I'd like to address this if that's okay. So, um, I will not mention the institution or the office or the person, but I was brought into a meeting um, once for a graduation ceremony, um, and... A big chunk of the participants in that ceremony are Middle Eastern students, uh, international students who come from the Middle East, specifically. And the, I don't know, I think it's called Schmar, but it has different names in different parts of the Middle East, but the 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 scarf if you will, or the headpiece, the black and white one, which is perceived as the Palestinian one. And then there's the red and white one, which is for other countries or allegedly. And I don't want to get into all that stuff, but those, I think it's called Shmar. But um, there was a note said, well, we don't want students to wear those because that's perceived as Hamas. That that's literally the way it was said to me in a meeting in higher education by someone who's pretty senior. Um, and I was shocked. That's-
0: Terrified,
1: um, shocked, but I calmly <laughs> said that uh, that represents an entire identity, and it's not correct to assume, to make that assumption. That was my most respectful way saying, "F you, you bigots, Right? Um, oh my god! But that's that's pretty common, I would say. Um, and it's not just the ident- the Arab identity factor, but to your point about the the you know the uh, the pride flag. Um, I've seen people in our community, both queer community and higher education communities, who object to just adding brown and black stripes to a flag. Um, you know, I've seen those conversations in person and online. And that shows a lot about um, people who are inclusive to those who exclude um, only. And I think that's kind of been the big red flag for me in many higher education pockets. But I will say the reason I went into higher education is because I think compared to other organizations, maybe higher ed has some hope, at least when it comes to um, these kinds of conversations. Um, But that doesn't take away the systemic barriers in higher education itself. Um, But yeah, I think the symbolic representation of flags or uh, cultural fashion, all of it invites conversations that are problematic, but sometimes conversations that are necessary too.
0: Yeah, it is ironic how some spaces that portray themselves to be like super op- open-minded and accepting and blah, blah blah are some of the most gatekeepery y um, oh. spaces. And I mean, you know,
2: oh, sorry. Uh, with the whole rainbow washing thing it's like open mindedness and acceptance is now a brand value. And
0: totally.
1: It yeah. is. It's a business strategy. I mean, I I you you hear people who build diversity, equity, inclusion, justice offices in different organizations just for the purpose of it being a business strategy. You know, what can we gain from this? Uh, uh financially primarily, the bottom line as they say, right? Um yep.
2: Oh, we're a lifestyle brand. Yeah,
0: a lifestyle brand. Well, uh, if people wanted to connect with you online, uh, what's yes. the best way to do that?
1: Yes, um, you can follow me at uh, at Mikey Amman. So that's Mikey A M M A N on Instagram, TikTok, um, Facebook. Um, I don't use Twitter anymore. I got banned for getting into it with Patricia Arquette and Deborah Messing once. Oh,
2: my God. oh yeah.
1: But you know, I'm pretty proud of those. It's like badges of honor, I guess. I, already, kind of, know
0: is, I, I already know this is I already know this is an iconic incident.
2: I have screenshots. <laughs> And but, if people uh, <laughs> uh, and if people wanted to discuss the finer points of Brittany, the philosophy of Brittany, where would they do that?
1: Um, you could connect with my personal social media, or you can follow the Chronicles of Brittany on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, on Twitter, I'm banned from there as well <laughs> because apparently they cross-check. So if you use the same email, same number, they'll ban you no matter what.
0: <laughs> oh God, I want to know more about this.
1: I'm happy to share sometime. Yeah, <laughs> You can have a um, sequel.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do need to. Um, is there anything uh, that you want to mention, like anything you're working on, anything you've created in the past that people yeah. should check out?
1: Um, I will say like, if people want to connect with me on a professional level, I would prefer if they connect with me through my social media and then I'd share with them my professional connections. But I'm more than happy to have conversations with people about... Career development um, in higher ed or any, you know, any institution. I'm very proficient in resume writing, cover letter writing, all that kind of stuff. I consider myself a career coach too, you know, to for free, volunteering for people who seek my guidance on certain things. So, um, please reach out to me in any capacity. I don't care what, and I'm I will always respond to anything. Um, I don't care what it is, you know. I, I the love of my life is to help people because I wish people had provided me that as a kid uh, and as a teenager and as an adult too. So um, please follow me at Mikey Amman anywhere and let's start a conversation.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a cool conversation. Like it it went so many directions. That's what I like about this podcast is just like, you know, you never know where the conversation will go. Um,
2: I kind of so, yeah. wanted to go more into like the history and acceptance of fangirlism online in Britney, but maybe next time,
1: right? We could. Yeah. I mean, cool? you know, I've fangirled multiple times. Uh, so, you know, and I, I will say like something, um, uh, if uh, I, it's not a project I'm working on right now, but I have been wanting to write uh, a hybrid graphic novel um, and I mm-hmm. have the outline for it and everything. So the vision is there, but once I work on that, I'm, you'll be the first people I kind of share that news with as well, but I'm something I'm very happy and proud about. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I can't wait to hear more about that. That's cool. Hey, Alia,
2: Um, where do people find our stuff these days?
0: Twitter, which is not very active of Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's funny. We actually got into a thing with, uh, I forget, some celebrity who was like, basically, it's this white guy, and he was just saying that the KKK isn't that scary, because he was like, oh, I don't know why people are so afraid of them, they they don't have any power, blah, 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 and it's like, you as a white guy saying that, really? Um, so we got into it with him on Twitter, and he blocked us, and stuff. <laughs> so... Um, what you just said about like being banned from Twitter, that just, I I don't know, that's iconic to me.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's it's a badge of honor. Yeah, uh, it is. Political engagement is definitely something I'm very passionate about too. There's a page, I think you all should follow it. It's called Unofficial DNC. Um, I helped found that parody. It's a political satire page. Um, I kind of dissociated myself from it, but it's still good content. Um, so for people cool. who want a political parody kind of onion like Facebook Instagram uh, presence follow Unofficial DNC. Mm-hmm.
0: oh okay cool I'll definitely follow that um, and yeah what else oh yeah Instagram we're on Instagram that's where we're most active and then you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com um, and our website is thequeerarabs at queerarabs.com. so yeah Let's definitely do a sequel sometime and get into like Twitter and fangirling. I feel like there's a lot there <laughs> up for both of us.
1: I, I could talk about Twitter all day long. Me I too. have so many screenshots and conversations and um, I love horror too. So if you ever want to have a horror conversation, I'm, I love having horror conversations about queer and horror. It's very fun.
0: Oh, that's cool we will be back with you with all three of us sometime.
1: Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.